Okay, so we have Kirk Kaufelt who is joining us today. Uh, so Kirk just got off a plane yesterday from Kenya. <laughs> How amazing. So Kirk, as you come forward, I'm just going to, uh, you know, do a little spiel, sing your praises, if you will. So um, Kirk is the director of Global Ed, which you'll explain a little bit further, probably, maybe. But uh, essentially, this is me essentializing. That's not a word. But um, like teaches and trains leaders who are doing ministry on the ground, around the world, and it's incredible. And, uh, and so it's super exciting. Like the amount of stories is just so awe-inspiring. And so it's so great to have you share with us, Kirk. And he's here. Like this is, this is like his home base. So he's in the library. So find him and talk to him and hear his stories, okay? Kirk, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. It is, it is really good to be with you today, and we did get in last night. I was in Kenya, but I was also in Toronto just before I got here, and so it's been an extended period of travel, and um, it's nice to be in chapel again. It, it's nice to feel community and, and to be part of what God is doing in the lives of those around us, so what a, what a blessing. I haven't been to a chapel yet this year, and yes, I do work in the library. That's where our base is, uh, Global Ed. And we work as part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada missions expression around the world. So a lot of the time I'm traveling. I haven't done that much during COVID. It's been a challenge on my wife for me at home as long as I have been. She started to speak Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? If I go to the office, you're there. If I go to the kitchen, you're there. Everywhere I go. She packs my bag hoping that I have a trip. But uh, we're getting back into travel again, and uh, I'll be off to Zimbabwe later and probably Pakistan and Indonesia before the end of the year. So I have an awesome life, and that's really the theme of what I want to talk about. It's not the fact that I have an awesome life, but, but God is an awesome God. And um, I want to share a little bit of, of wisdom around the, the idea of finding, finding purpose. Um, I realized that in 2022, it'll be 40 years since my parents dropped me off at Trinity Western University and went back overseas. I'm really old. <laughs> That's a generation, right? That's 40 years. And, and as I was reflecting and, and sharing, you know, what I want to share with you is really I'm, I'm speaking to my 18-year-old version of myself and, and just celebrating what God has done. I remember that time being very stressful. You know, I was coming from a place where I grew up in, in southern Africa to Canada. You all were incredibly weird and strange, and I did not fit in. And I was going to be away from my parents. I wouldn't see them again, I think, until three, three and a half years later. Yeah, don't feel bad for me. It's okay. But... That, those weren't the most stressful things. Let me tell you what the most stressful thing was for me as I entered college, as I entered university. You see, I, I had grown in a family with discipleship from godly parents who were living the will of God for their life and were fruitful and blessed and fulfilled and happy 
And even when things went horribly wrong, even when there were great challenges, the confidence was we were still in the center of God's will and everything's okay. So what that meant for me is I've got to find the will of God for my life. I've got to figure out, because I want, I want that. And, you know, fast forward 40 years, and I have moments now where I just absolutely celebrate what God has done. This happened about a month ago. We were working with a partner in Pakistan, first Christian leadership conference in a, a partner that we have there. They were hoping to have 500 people show up. 1,500 people showed up. We did, we did a four-hour training on godly, biblical-based leadership that serves, focusing on character, focusing on integrity. We did it from Lake Mount in Grimsby, Ontario. So I'm standing there speaking to an empty church, watching a television screen of people looking at me. They are on the other side of the world, but it's live. My translator, I looked it up, 11,185 kilometers away from me, a brother called Jackson was translating me as I, as I taught. Not only did we have 1,500 people there, but if you can look at the next slide, it was live streamed. We had 40,000 people watching the four-hour conference in Pakistan. And since then, <laughs> since then, over 100,000 people have watched this stuff on godly Christian leadership and what it should look like. And, and we've just got such wonderful reports, and they want us to come. And so I'm looking forward to going very soon. I drove back from Grimsby to Toronto, really thrilled, to say the least. Like, this is amazing. This is my life. I get to do this. I get to bless institutions around the world. I get to consult with leaders. I get to, uh, you know, we've worked for 25 years internationally. We've worked in, I went to university 40 years ago. I haven't got out yet. I'm still involved in leadership development, leadership training, growing capacity, mentoring and discipling leaders. We have people that, that we grew, that God grew with our, our influence, that are like family, that we get to Skype into their wedding ceremonies, and we get to see what's happening in their lives. I am so blessed. So that 18-year-old that was dropped off, completely stressed about, will I find God's will for my life? And will I enjoy all the blessing that comes with that? Now I look back and say, wow, God has been very, very gracious to me. You see, Psalm 1, which is sort of the, the introduction chapter to all of wisdom literature, right? It's, it's the prelude. It, it sets up the premise. The wicked are like this, but the righteous have this blessing. And if you choose wisdom, then these things happen. But if you don't and you're foolish, then a lot of bad stuff happens. Right? That's, that's what is woven throughout all of this wisdom literature. And, and so you want to be fulfilled. Look at that 
promise. Whatever you do prospers. Like, where is that will of God, center of his will, where fruitfulness and blessing comes? So what I'm going to describe is sort of signposts along the pathway over the past 40 years of finding God's will. And I'm going to use a Japanese concept. And, and this is ikigai, right? It's, it's, it's a Japanese reflection on the search for significance. At the center is bliss. If you wonder where bliss is, it's there. <laughs> At the center is this feeling that, that I'm relating to, the sense of, oh, this is awesome. Everything's coming together. The, the synergy of, of all of this good stuff, fulfillment, significance, purpose. But it's tied to four different areas, and we can look at the next slide because they describe it. it. What do you love? What are you good at? What can you be paid for? And what does the world need? And if you look at that diagram, it's, it's very helpful to start thinking. Now, it's, it's not predictive, it's descriptive, right? It's not telling you, here's the formula. It's describing what it's like to try and find fulfillment in your life and understanding that, that in the complex way that God has created all of us, even the Japanese, that, that the things that play into that are, are passion. And the things that play into that are competence and abilities and skills. And, and the things that play into that are sustaining yourself, having resources to do what you need to do. And adding value, making a difference. So that's what we're going to, to look at, at together here. Just look at the next slide, Brianna. There we go. If you look a little closely, you'll see that some of these things, where they overlap, relate to words that we're quite familiar with as we th think about significance and purpose. So passion, mission, profession, vocation. So what I want to do is just reflect on those four areas and share the wisdom that God revealed to me about my passions, about becoming competent, about finding sustainability and resources, and about being on mission with God. Because at the end of the day, that's what the world needs. So let's, let's look at the first one. Let's talk about what you love. Right now, I suspect a lot of your passion is directed to who you love, or who you could love, or who you want to love. Right? I remember those days. <laughs> I remember meeting Shelly. Yeah. Second year university, I decided this year I'm going to date. <laughs> I met this transfer from McMaster University and she changed my life and has rocked my world ever since then. But, so I know what you're thinking about right now, or maybe not right now, but you will in 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes from now. Passion. But let me tell you a secret. Before I met Shelly, I had discovered my purpose. 
Find your purpose before you find your partner. Find your purpose. Find, find out why you are on earth and what you are here to do. Because if, if you get that clear, I knew as soon as I met Shelly, she fits into this plan. Not only that, she amplifies it. She magnifies it. She multiplies it. That's why we're partners. So let's talk about passion beyond that domain. What are you passionate about? When I was a freshman in university, I think my passion was undefined. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I wanted to make a difference. I just, I just knew I wanted to do something important. And I knew that, that that was going to come through revelation from God. So I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What is, it, what is that job? Give me, give me a sign. Give me a clear picture of me and what I'm doing for you that is going to add value in this world. And that didn't happen. Some of the best things that God has done is not answer my prayer. But reveal what he wants me to know as I've persevered in prayer. Like, you know, when you, like, why would you need to persevere in prayer if God hears and understands and knows? It probably has something to do with the need for me to catch up to his will. And, and what he did is he showed me Psalm, Psalm 37. It starts off like this. Do not fret. Fret's an old English word for worry. Do not fret. Don't be envious. Trust in the Lord and do good in verse 3. Verse 4 is what gripped my heart. And so it becomes a signpost on my journey. Take delight in the Lord... And he will give you the desires of your heart. I can have heart desires. That's okay. I used to think of my heart desires as being selfish and self-centered and you know, sort of opposed to God's will. But it's okay to have heart desires. And, and not only is it okay, but he will see them fulfilled if I delight in him. And that as I delight in him, those desires will change and grow and become the real me desires, the way I was designed. Like, don't fight desire and passion. Just baptize it in the delight of the Lord. Just delight in the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. This is the hard one for 18-year-olds, for me especially. Be still and wait before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. So my, my stress of, if I don't find the perfect will of God, I'm going to blow up. I don't want to find his permissive will, something that is not quite what he wanted me to do, but it's not bad. I don't want to rebel. I really want that the pathway to that is delighting in the Lord. Is delighting in the Lord. 
So I began to notice as I focused on that, two things happened. I began to focus on my character first. Because the more I delighted in God, the more I was made aware of who I should be and that what I do is really secondary to who I am and the kind of person I should be. What good of it is it if I'm tremendously effective and yet my character is bankrupt? So I began to focus on character as a priority in everything that I did. I, I, I want to reflect doing justice, doing the right thing, loving mercy, being gracious and forgiving. And I wanted to reflect walking humbly with God. The second thing that happened is I began to trust the process. That if I walked humbly with God, it would work out. I began to lose the pressure to find out and enjoy the privilege of discovery. I didn't need to know, but I sure enjoyed finding out what happened next. And now, often, when it comes to God's will, I'm faced with two very good options. Should I do this? Should I do that? How do, am I ever going to decide what God's will is? I don't think it matters. I'm at that place in my journey now where I trust the process. I will pray. I will use biblical values, and I will make a choice, and that choice will be a godly choice. And Isaiah says this in Isaiah 30, 21, Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. That the way you walk, the process matters more than the decision. And so, live in this, you know, I feel like I'm doing a lot of movement here. Like, live, live in this way where you can be a bit uncomfortable with uncertainty, but trust deeply that God is with you. Let's talk about what you're good at. I don't think it would be... I, well, let me say it this way. I'm sure many of you understand that your talents, your gifts, and your abilities are a gift from God. And that they've been given to you as a steward so that you can use them for the work that he has for you. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Whatever God wants to do, he's already given you the raw material to prepare you for that. You don't know it. It's not clear. But that's how God works. The gifts, the talents, the abilities that he's given you are in, pre in preparation for that. Shelley, again, I come to, to such a wonderful example of this. Shelley has an innate ability to be organized, to plan, and to care for details. Like, that's, that's how she's wired. And it's a gift that she nurtured in her university career, and then she went to, to be uh, in, in the banking sector. She worked in the banking sector, kept on getting promoted, did all kinds of wonderful things. That ability to take care of details, be organized and plan. She nurtured while she was 
in that season of preparation. When we went to Kenya, I was fully involved in the university there. She was seeking God for what to do. God spoke to her heart when we visited a slum school in the middle of Nairobi. Now, slums in Nairobi are slums, right? 850,000 people living in one square mile intensity. Went to a slum school, and, and God said to her, because I got in the car, and she said, God just told me these kids need to eat. They're not getting food. They're falling asleep at their desks. They're going home to look for food and looking in the garbage for food, and they can't find food. They don't come back to school. They're never going to learn unless they eat. These kids need to eat. It became a matter of urgency. Well, guess how all those organizational detail planning abilities that she had nurtured suddenly became relevant. Later on in our journey, she decided that she would like to be involved in language training. And so that's also a very specific, detailed, organized, you know, kind of mindset that's needed to be effective in that. And so when we were in Eastern Europe, she's off to Tbilisi, Georgia, welcoming Syrian refugees who are fleeing the war. Their education has been interrupted. They're coming to our Christian university. And she now knows how to help them learn English as a second language so that they can move on. You know, you, you want to feed hungry kids. You want to help refugees. Nurture that particular skill that God has given you. And find a way to use it. Don't just go, I'm going to care for hungry people. Figure out how you're going to do it and the details of that. John Clausen was my history teacher at um, Trinity Western, and he kept on getting voted as the most beloved faculty member. I don't think we do that at some Summit. We're far too humble. But this is what the newspaper did at, at Trinity, and so... And they interviewed him after getting this award several years in a row. Why, why Dr. Clausen, why do you think people feel that you're such a good lecturer? This is what he said. And it stuck with me. My work is my worship. And, and if you think about that, my work is my worship. You're working right now as a student. How does your work reflect worship to God? How does your effort on that term paper reflect worship to God? How does your effort to be studious and to research and to, to do it in a, an integral way and, and with a depth that grows you and stretches you, not just to get by, but, but to actually develop? Because there's another, there's another signpost there, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine 29, that says this. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. In other words, developing those abilities, those gifts, what you're good at, and pursuing excellence in that process will create the opportunity for you to have greater impact. You want to make a difference? Nurture those talents and those skills and those capabilities that God has given you. Have a mindset of excellence in that journey so that when it's time, you can shine. 
when it's time, you're ready. I was talking to a young person who um, is thinking of you know, going into university. Her parents live in Spain. And she wants to get something done as quickly as she can so she can back, go back to the Middle East. I said, hold on. It took us 14 years from the time we knew we were going to Africa together to actually go there. I needed 10 years of administrative experience at Trinity Western. I needed my master's degree at Western Washington and my doctorate from the University of Toronto. And then I was ready to go. But I never felt for one minute I was not on track. Because I knew that it would take excellence. It would take capacity. So what are you good at? Nurture it and watch God provide. Next one. What can you be paid for? It's not surprising that the Japanese orientation seems to be on salary. What can you make money at? What we're really talking about here is what can sustain you and what can provide for you in your journey towards significance. My dad, I've, I've talked about him. I could, I could, I should write a book about him, but I, I just don't have the time right now. Before, I mean, he had a phenomenally fruitful missionary experience. He's the person I respect most in this world. And I asked him, Dad, what's the one thing? None of you would remember City Slickers, maybe some of the people at the back, but what's the one thing, you know, that one thing that, that, I should go with. He was very quick to answer, but very clear. He said, I never felt for one day I was working for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. I knew I was serving the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Do you want all the money that the company you desire to work for can provide you? Or do you want all the money that God, the creator of this universe, could provide you? Like, what are you going to trust? Those who walk with God will always find his provision. Your inheritance comes from the Lord. You're sustaining whatever it is will come from the Lord. It's all, it's all great to make money. We, we've done everything from having to raise all of our funds and that, that being a challenge. But we learned that money follows vision. It doesn't follow what you need. So if we share a vision and we share a vision that is compelling and, and we share it in a way that describes what God is doing, people give, ask Dave. He shares the vision of this institution and what God wants to do and money follows. We don't bring them here and show them what we need. We describe what's happening in the lives of our graduates and the change that they're making in the world. Money follows vision. So we've had to raise money. But there was a season where we got paid stinky money. We were in Indonesia. 
I mean, money like, wow, we've never had money like this before. I'm talking six figures and two different salaries, one U.S., one Indonesian, and a car and a house. And, oh, my gosh, I thought I'd arrived. And it, it was awesome, and it served its place. It was right at the time that our kids were needing to pay for their university studies, and so we paid, and then God shut that down and said, I'll get back to the trusting God side. But this was trusting God's side too. This is miraculous provision. We worked for one of the richest people in Southeast Asia. University with 10,000 students. Money, money everywhere. But that was not our source. Because we knew God was just using his money to pay for our kids while they were in university. And we thank God for that. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having everything you need, you will abound in good works. Whatever you need to be in the center of God's will, God will provide. Count on that. Fourth one, what the world needs. I've got to be careful here. I mean, this is, I mean, this is the mission of God. Right? This is, I could talk about this, and you could all walk out, and I'd still have time to talk. Because this, this may have become the biggest signpost on my pathway to a life of significance. is understanding that God is at work in the world, and we have the privilege of being a part of what he's doing. For so long, I understood missions as, you know, something I have to do for God. Something I must do to be obedient. Something I must do to do in, in response to those horrible situations and needs that are out there. And I had an upside-down thinking of it. And over time, God has helped me to understand, no, the church of God does not have a mission in the world. The God of mission has a church in the world. That if I can figure out what God is doing, I could be part of that. Time is going quickly. Let me tell you a story about an elephant and an ant. Walking through the forest, they come to this big valley, and, and there's this rickety bridge that they've got to go across. And so they summon the courage, and the ant is sitting on the elephant's ear and saying, Okay, here we go. And carefully they made it over that bridge. But of course, each time they stepped, it started to sway. They got to the other side. And the ant, feeling quite relieved, celebrated and said, Wow, didn't we make that bridge move? As if their little contribution had anything to do with the significance of what happened. We look at what happened in Pakistan or what just happened in Kenya or, you know, all of the great things that God is doing. And, and you go to, you said, wow, didn't we? No, we, God's at work. God's at work. And so wherever you go, you want to find out what he's doing and be part of that. My friend who's a bishop in Zimbabwe says this, if you want to experience the favor of God, find out what God is doing and do that. Find out who God loves and love them. Find out what God is trying to say and say that. Like, so 
take time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. It goes on later to say, for Christ, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't look at people the way that people look at people. We don't look at them and see them as better than me, not as good as me, richer than me, more different than me. We look at them from God's perspective. They're lost. They're harassed. They're struggling. We don't look at people from a worldly point of view. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creature. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does the world need? The world needs to be reconciled to God. Period. Of course, there's layers in that. But the gospel is good news for all of those layers. It addresses injustice. It addresses vulnerability. It addresses pain. The gospel is good news. And no matter what we do, ultimately it goes around the circle to, are you on mission with God today? Do you know what God wants to do on this campus? And are you working hard to be a part of it? Do you know what God wants to do in your community right now? And are you working hard to be a part of it? Or are you here getting professionally trained for a ministry where that's when you'll get on the I'm on mission with God train? Either you're on mission now, or you're likely never to be on mission. What does the world need? Let me go to the last slide. Second last slide. What do you love? It's okay, you can go up to that one. I'll, I'll summarize it, Brianna. What do you love? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? What can you find will sustain you, and what does the world need? Okay, Brianna, thanks. Let's go to the last slide. On the left is something that I live with now. In fact, it's right here. That is the speaker's side of a pulpit. And they have painted on there, first in Urdu and then in English, John chapter 20, 21. Sir, we would see Jesus. My prayer coming in here is, this is all great, God, but they want to see Jesus. You know? I wish, I wish as you go in your ministry that whatever your platform looks like, whether it's something that you would find at the front of a church or the way that you interact with people in an NGO or in your counseling office or the way that you run a business, that you would live with this reflection always. They want to see Jesus. That's what everybody wants to see. And that, that really is where significance comes from. 
So I look back at 18-year-old me. I look at a version and I laugh at it because of how I used to dress and what I used to wear and how my hair was cut until Shelly sorted me out. <laughs> and I look back over 40 years. I have had a blast. I, I can't remember a day I didn't love what I was doing. Not one day. And I know the best is yet to come. But there were some signposts from this young kid anxious about finding the will of God to what you see now that have helped me find significance, purpose. Take time to look for them. They might not be the same ones I've seen. God is a revealer. God will reveal. God, God is not, he's like a parent who plays hide and seek with their kids, but the joy is in the discovery, right? I used to play with my daughter hide and seek, and I, I could always hide so she would never find me, but there's no fun in that kind of a, an experience. So she'd come in, she didn't hear me, and I'd cough, or I'd, she would find me, and I'd go, ha ah, ha, you found me. That's God. He'll reveal. Look for those signposts. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we continue to echo that song that we sang about your greatness. And you are great. But we're so thankful that you can be great in our lives as well. That you can be great in me. That you can be great in the things that I'm passionate about and, and the skills and the abilities that I've had and that you're gifting me with and I'm shining up in, in excellence so that I can present them back to you as worship. Your greatness is not only in the universe, but it's in the influence of my life. So Lord, I pray that each one here would feel the significance of your hand on their life right now. That each one here would know you have a purpose for them. Lord, show them the signposts that will bring clarity and faith and trust and hope in their journey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.